doesn't seem like an hour as much, but if you're uh, distracted, it you know it can seem like an eternity. Or if you don't really have your focus on God, it seems like a long time. You know, I notice sometimes people when we're <clears throat> in in service, you know, the the bad thing about electronic devices is that they put Bibles on them. The good thing about them is they put Bibles on them because it takes a long time to get scrolling through all that stuff. You could flip a page in your paper Bible in that time and then there's a distraction. Don't tell me y'all will be looking up some of them other things you be doing on there and looking at them little games and all that. Hey, Juanita Bynum said, bring that Bible, bring your Bible back to church. It was so funny. I so enjoyed that message. And she said, y'all say I'm, 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 look, I got a Bible on my phone. You mean that same phone? You be putting them nasty selfies on and the same phone you be telling people off on that same phone. <laughs> you need a sanctified Bible. I thought that's pretty good. Because it is true. It's, you know, I've watched people, you know, from here I could see everybody. And I see, when you could be taking notes and getting something out of the, the sermon. So if it's just one hour, just say to yourself, one hour, let me focus on God. And if we can discipline and focus, I'm telling you, it'll change your life. That, that just that attentiveness to what God's saying and, and writing down things that, that you know are important points. You know, it's all important, but the things that stand out to you are the things that you're going to need. And so God, you know, the devil has all kind of little cutesy, slick ways of stealing from us. So this day forward, he steals no more. We are focused in on God's word. Amen. So we're going to talk today about Nehemiah. Who had favor in high places. Nehemiah favor in high places. And there is a reason that God's favor comes upon us. It comes upon, I would say, everybody to some degree. You know, God wants to help everybody. He has mercy on all. But... <clears throat> He favors his people, number one, because he has a covenant with us. And that cannot be denied. If you have a covenant, there's an obligation there on God's part. So he is obligated to us. By the same token, we are obligated to him. And so when favor comes for the different things that God wants people to do, it comes for reasons, number one, of the advancement of his kingdom. God does not advance people without him having something in mind that's going to help his kingdom. And so if we can be the more kingdom-minded we are as believers, the more God will give us favor, the more he will advance us, the more he will push us forward. So if you are, are kingdom minded and you have a tender heart toward the things that God wants you to have, then you will receive his favor. Amen. And many times your blessing comes as an overflow of what you're doing for God. Now I'll give you an example. If you have the privilege of being called to prayer, God wants you to pray for things he assigns you to pray for. He makes the assignment. 
He helps you to pray. He will set up the instructions for the prayer. All of that. And so as he begins to deal with you and help you in that, there are certain things that you learn through working for God that help you in your personal life. This is just a common thing that happens. For instance, if you learn how to fix computers on your job and you got a computer at home, you know how to fix your own computer. That saves you money trying to get somebody else to go do it. So there's an, an overflow blessing that comes when you do what's assigned to you to do. So there's an overflow blessing that comes with your assignment. The important thing to learn to do is to stay with your assignment. See, many times we don't allow the overflow to come and bless our lives before we stop doing what God tells us to do and go and check on what's ours. I'm going to say it again. Many times we don't allow the overflow process, amen, Amen. to come into play before we stop doing what we're assigned to do and go and check on our stuff. See, that's what's happened to most Christians. Instead of staying with what you're assigned to do, if I do what God has told me to do, he promises certain things. There are certain things that come into your life out of your obedience. He's testing us to see if we really believe that. If you really believe it, you'll stay with your assignment whether you get what you want or not. Whether you get it tomorrow or not, whether you get it today or not. But most of us are so busy checking on what I call the overflow blessing that we don't stay focused on what we're doing enough to accomplish it, to grow, and let the overflow happen. We think that our needs are God's top priority, but I can tell you they are not. His priority is, number one, you that you conform to the image of Christ. He wants you to look like his son, first and foremost. And that's what he's working on, the underlying principle he's working is that he wants many sons and daughters of God. And that doesn't mean just people that confess Christ one time and go and live like devils the rest of the time. Or go to church, you know, and be religious the rest of the time. But he wants people that he can mold, shape, and develop. And we're molded, shaped, and developed through obedience to him. You must obey him in order to be molded and shaped. You can't just pray and look for God magically to come and bibbidi-bobbidi-boo you into something. You are developed into it through obedience, through training, through discipline. It's a discipline that we are living as Christianity. So he wants to see, like Jesus would would tell them, didn't you know I would be about my father's business? Amen. He had just had turned 12, you know, that's bar mitzvah time. Where they're supposed to be men all of a sudden. Well, that's what men do. They, they're obedient to their fathers. They get to that place where they know the father is holding them accountable for their obedience. And so we, from day one, are being held accountable for our, our obedience to God. 
in all things. If he tells you to get up and go out every morning and pass out bread or pass out tracts, that's what he expects you to do. And he will grace your life to be able to do that. And so if we think that we can shirk on our responsibility and go focus on what we want 24-7, just me, 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 and not keep your prayer appointment and not pray fervently and not be diligent in what you do in your assignment plus what you're doing in your personal life plus what you're doing in your, your uh, local assembly plus there's so many pluses to your obedience. God wants us to be about obeying him all the time. I don't have any time for you. This is time for you. Because if you don't see that what you do in God's kingdom benefits, you're a citizen of the kingdom, aren't you? Well, if you're praying for things to be advanced in his kingdom, that benefits you automatically. To say nothing of the personal gain that you will have from what you learn from God as he develops you. You've got to understand this. This, this, because this Christian life is going to be a challenge if number one, you don't know God loves you. You're unsure of His love. You're still trying to earn it. You're still trying to make your way based on what you're doing, but you don't do. You've missed the whole point. He loves you regardless. He will do more for you if you're obedient. You got me? Obedience comes through doing things out of a heart of love. Not out of a heart of I better do this or, you know, I won't get anything kind of thing. You can say that, but that can't be your motivation. Because most people try to find another source. If you really think God is not going to bless you unless you do certain things, you'll fail miserably. The first time you miss God, you'll look for another source for blessing because you'll make up your mind you can't do it. Or you can't do it right. Or you can't do it consistently. Or look, I done messed up again. See, people who are cautious about about failing never have the freedom to make mistakes. If you don't have the freedom to make mistakes, you won't get anywhere. Write that down because y'all look at me like I'm telling you something foreign. You better write these things down because you won't remember them. That's why you have a pencil in your hand. If you don't have the freedom to make mistakes, you won't prosper, you won't grow, and you won't step out. And you'll just look for another source. It's like if you, if you don't make, uh, if you don't get the loan you wanted from the car from this dealership. If God told you, go back and tell him again, this is a place I've chosen for you. Go back again. Go back again. Go back again. Most people don't do it. They go to another place and look for another source. Because we don't know how to challenge the closed door. I got news for you. Most doors on earth are closed to us kind of people. They're closed to Christians, period. So the closed door is going to be, uh, you know, more familiar to you than the open door is. You have to pray doors open. Sometimes you got to kick them open. But you got to be determined to go through. It's closed, so what? You have a God who opens doors. So what if it's closed to you right now? God will open that door if you will pray and you will expect him to do it. That door is necessary for you to go through for what you need and what God's assigned to you. 
then he will open that door. There's no two ways about it. The door is probably closed because he doesn't want every Tom, Dick, and Harry going through it. Some doors are open just for you. And you better understand that and learn that. It doesn't matter what you think about yourself or what you think God might use you for. That matters nothing. You have no clue what God has in store for you. None of us do. We have some little inklings. If he told us, we'd mess it up. So that's why it's even held closed from us. You know, the door's closed for us to get through certain things. So in Nehemiah chapter 1, you know we all want our prayers answered. You know, we do. And it's amazing how much evidence there is in the word of God regarding God's desire to answer prayer. But often, well, let me tell you why we don't get more knowledge. We don't notice what moves God. See, when you see these people doing things and getting here and getting there, you have to notice what moves God in these situations or it's of no benefit to you. It's just a happy story with a happy ending. It might have started out a little rough, but it won't happen in your life unless you notice what moves God to use these people. Like for Gideon, you know, I'm the least, I'm the great, I'm the, but most people could not tell you how Gideon got chosen to do what God told him to do. They know the story. They know it had a pretty good ending. They can't remember. Well, I don't know if it, what, what did it mean when it was the, 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 those that lap like a dog, what lap water? You better know what that means because those were the ones that got chosen. You see what I'm saying? The difficult sayings are the ones that we skip over and don't want to understand as well, but they are the ones that pay us the most benefit. If you got to stop and meditate on something, and God does that on purpose because the skim readers won't get as much benefit as the meditators. If you're a skim reader and you just listen for what sounds familiar to you and when it sounds familiar, you shut your ears down like we all do when we hear the word. Because if we paid more attention, we'd be a lot farther than what we are. We'd use the word more. We wouldn't go to pieces when when bad news comes. We wouldn't freak out when when things happen. You understand what I'm saying? We'd be poised and we'd be set to hear from God and know that he will answer. So understanding what moves God in these situations is the utmost importance. That's the one thing you've got to get out of the situation. And when you find out what moves him, don't decide right away that you're disqualified because you can't do that. See, when people hear fasting prayer, you know, turning the plate down, doing this, doing that. They just skip right over that because they're not going to do it. Well, if God calls you to it, he gives you the grace to do it. It's not by might or by power, but it's by his spirit. All you have to do is say yes. That's what, what he's waiting for most of us to do is say yes to him. And just let him fill in the rest of it. If you say yes... The rest will come. I must say it again. If you say yes, the rest will come. So start looking for it. 
start looking for the rest of it instead of going back to your same old, same old. God has said yes to you. I'm expecting the rest of my instructions to come for me to learn how to change my city, for me to learn how to change my family, for me to learn how to change. We're agents of change. We're not little lumps on a, a log or hockey pucks or people just waiting for something to happen. We are agents of change. You have change ability on the inside of you. And this is what Nehemiah had. This is what all believers have. We have the ability to change things. So Nehemiah uh, uh, was an interesting person. Uh, you, you see, people of controversy always get lumped into categories. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, it's it's it always amazes me. How when we can categorize people in the like column, then we put our support behind them. But if we have to pray about whether God appointed this person to do something, that's when our heads get messed up. Huh? And seriously, we should pray about everything. There should be nothing that you step out and do that you don't pray about and get God's leading in or God says, no, that's not for you. But you don't reject or accept things based on what you think is important. All decisions should be made. You belong to God. You carry his power. See, we want his blessing, but we don't want the discipline of living for him every day. That's true. I do enough. I do that. I do that. We always want to list our credentials. Sure. Because we're, we're afraid. See, grace is something that, that, that word gets misused, mishandled, thrown about, misunderstood. Why is the devil always messing with that word? It's because it's the one thing that will separate the doers from the hearers only is understanding the grace of God comes upon you. To do what needs to be done. You don't have to make up your mind to do it on your own. You don't have to provide the finances for it. You know, all you have to do is find the grace. When I say find the grace, I mean that. I mean there is a place in God that we must seek after that allows us the power to do what he wants us to do no matter how weak we are, how new we are at this, how insane we are. How tripped out we are. How carnal we are. If the grace is found, we will find ourselves doing some phenomenal things. We got ministers who sit in in uh, positions of counsel to the president of the United States. And they're not the ones we thought they would be. They're, it never is that way. But there are some that sit there and they are trusted. And and we as a body of believers have prayed for these things to happen forever. But God has to find somebody that he can speak to and trust to put in those positions. And it's never who we think. We always think it's going to be the ones on TV that we know. But many of them spoken so evil against People who are in power now that they can't be trusted. 
or they compromise so much when they get on TV, God can't trust them. So he has to look around and find somebody who has his heart and, and elevate those people. Put them where he wants them to be. I know some of them personally, a handful of them are in those trusted positions. But I know for a fact that they're sincere in what they're doing. Amen. Some of them, the preaching ain't so hot and I'm thankful. I said, well, God, I thank you that you found a place for this person, your servant. (laughs) The preaching wasn't that hot, you know what I'm saying? And it doesn't matter. You don't have to have hot preaching for God to be able to trust you to do certain things. You're on assignment with him. It matters not. And so it's just one of those things where we can never dictate to God who to use. We can't, we don't know each other's hearts. I don't know what's on the inside of you. I can tell by some things you do, but that's, that's, that's not the same thing as what God can see in people. And so that's what we have to, it boils down to what, what do we know that Nehemiah did that moves God? And can we do the same thing? Yes, you can. With God's grace, you can do it. And that's my answer for anybody in the Bible that we see doing good things for God, big things, small things, whatever it is. You can do it too. Because you're human like they are. You have the same God that they have. And you have the same ability to yield to God and be used by God. You've got to believe that. Nothing's off limits to you as to what God wants to use you for. Are you kidding me? These people confess that they're not adequate. They confess that they're, you know, they and they confess it to God. You know, we sit back and try to say, yeah, I'm ready, God. Yeah, yeah, you're not ready. Yeah, if you think you're ready, you're probably the most deceived. So you got to get honest before God and, and get him to understand and, and come to a meeting of the minds with him, the meeting of the hearts with him and show him that in spite of how I feel about myself, I am willing to do your will. That's all you have to know. You're willing to do his will. So God desires to bless us, but he also has a plan for all humanity. You've got to understand you are one of trillions of people on the earth. I know. We think about what we want. We think we're it's it's a dire need. If I don't get this, I'm going to have a fit. But you're one of trillions of people on the earth that God wants to bless. Okay, so let's just keep it. You're important to him and he loves you. But you can throw a fit if you want to, and God's still going to be God. You understand what I'm saying? He's still going to be up there in heaven. You're still going to be where you are. So God desires to share his His uh goods with all of his people, his word, his wealth, his knowledge, his understanding, his power. He desires to share it with everybody. But he will have to choose somebody out of his people to get the ball rolling. And what do we think gets the ball rolling? Hmm. Prayer. Number one is prayer. See, we forget it because we take it lightly. We forget it because we take it for granted. We forget it because the enemy has put it in a place in our minds where it's not the initial thing. But I'm telling you, and I believe that, and it's borne out in Scripture, 
prayer gets the ball rolling. Don't step out and try to do something because you feel you're anointed. You must pray. You must get God's permission, leading, unction, something. you got to deal with God on it first. So it begins with prayer. He wants to use all people. But he often starts with his people because he has a covenant with us. We have an agreement with him. So he can hold us to certain behaviors because of our covenant. The one thing we have to understand is God must remain sovereign over his choice for his work. Which means that he doesn't pick because people in a certain denomination. He does not pick because they're in a certain movement. He does not pick because they're prominent and have a louder voice than certain other people. He does not pick based on what man wants. Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 16. Just go back a little bit. Verse 1. We won't go to 1. We'll go down... God has called Samuel to a, a, a undercover meeting with Jesse. Now the thing of it is, is Saul has been fired as king of Israel. And that's God's prerogative. Now we might say, oh, I think Saul should have another chance. Uh, no, you don't get a vote. God is sovereign over the choice of who he chooses. And we have to let him be. You can't tell him who to choose for what. He doesn't choose people because we like them. And he doesn't discard people because we dislike them. He chooses based on the counsel of his own will. That means he doesn't ask a committee. He doesn't ask his mama. He don't ask his daddy. He don't, you know, the three and agree in one. They've, they're all pre-agreed on everything. So he does it after the counsel of his own will. That means what is, what do you want to do, God? Please tell us and we'll obey. Verse three, he says, call Jesse to the sacrifice and I'll show you what you will do and you will anoint unto me him who I name you. Now he's already told Samuel the deal. I get to pick Samuel, you don't. Hello? Didn't he just tell him that? You pick the one that I tell you to pick. Samuel did which the Lord spake, came to Bethlehem, the elders in the town, they trembled at his coming. Why? Because <laughs> he <was> doing bad. <laughs> and so what happens when holiness shows up, sin takes a hike or gets nervous. Back in the day when prophets showed up, they didn't know what they were coming for. So everybody ran for the hills because everybody was doing something wrong. The Bible says man is deceitfully wicked. His heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? So the first thing the prophet bring is fear and conviction. It's not like what we do now. Every, they want every, every prophet likes people to like them. I get a word for you. I get a word for you. This word is for you. This word is no, it's not. This word, I don't know who it's for, but it ain't for me. So, you know, return to sender. 
So Samuel did what the Lord spoke, went down there. The people said, the elders of the town, now these are the people in charge are scared of the prophet. They said, you come peacefully? He said, yeah, peacefully. Just go back to what you were doing. It's like when police come, uh, are investigated, like the homicide police come to investigate a homicide. If somebody's, uh, got drugs on them, they'll say, I'm not concerned about that. You know what I'm saying? And, and when the other people say, oh, okay, I'll cooperate. But then when he goes around the corner, he calls the narco detective. Narcotics is soon to follow, but right now I want to ask you about this murder. Amen. So, you know, don't, don't, yeah, don't worry about that. I'm not here to arrest you for that, but somebody will follow up soon. So anyway, he says, and so he said, peaceably, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord, sanctify yourselves. In other words, and come with me to the sacrifice. So they sanctified Jesse and his son and called them to the sacrifice. And it came to pass when they were come that he looked on Eliab and said this, I pick him. Uh, Excuse me, Samuel, we just had this conversation. See, this is a way it is with people. God's already told us he picks whom he wants. I have mercy on whom I have mercy. I pardon whom I pardon. Amen. But still, we want to do the choosing. Samuel's looking at his own resume. I picked dozens of these guys before. I only picked one king so far. You know, that was Saul. I've done this and I know what, what anointing looks like on people. I know what really godly people look like. You know what I'm saying? They don't have no makeup on, yada, yada, yada. You know that stuff. So he says, but the Lord said to Samuel, I don't look at his face. Have we heard this before in reference to prophets? Don't look at their faces. Don't stare at people. Because their souls will entangle with your soul and you will wind up giving them a wrong message. That's the reason people stare at your face when they're trying to prophesy to you. They're trying to read your face to see what you like. Talk to you accordingly. Or looking for some kind of vibe from you, some excitement. Some people can't prophesy unless somebody's saying, Are you telling the truth? Yeah, 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 yeah. You don't need all of that. Just get out there, you, you and God, and spit it out. If it ain't right, you missed it. If it is, praise God, keep moving. And he says, Don't look at their faces or the height of his stature because I've refused him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. Outward appearance will will include uh, your credentials, your education, your experience, the way you speak, your eloquence. See, God says height, stature, outward appearance, period. Anything the world gives to you is your outward appearance. Some people think, you know, voting is just a matter of political party. You understand what I'm saying? You traditionally check your D or check your R or your I, whatever you, they got on there. You traditionally go that way. 
But that that is part of outer appearance also. Because you can't examine their hearts, but God can. And if you will pray, he will tell you whom to vote for. You got me? People don't even think God's interested. They hope he's not interested in it. Let me put it to you that way. Because there's another way we can do what we want to do. Amen? We can just do what we've always done. And let the devil intimidate us if we do anything different. He likes to get involved. He's the author of the politics on the earth. I got news for you. So this is the world system. And we're working God's kingdom into it and overtaking it with God's authority and God's power. So you got to realize it's a hostile environment. It can turn hostile on you no matter what kind of party you think you belong to or you need to vote for. So you have to really pray and ask God for his choice and his pick in things. The more you side with God, the better off your life's going to be. The more blessed you're going to be. You'll say, well, God, I I voted for this person. Don't look like they're working out, but I did it because I felt like you told me to do it. You got me? Uh huh. And why did you do it? Because you thought God told you to do it. See, you got to examine facts. You can't just say God spoke to me and told me to do this. You got to examine facts. Do what they believe line up with God's word? Most people can be eliminated based on two or three things that they propose that are anti-Christ. You got me? So let's not get spooky here. It's, God didn't tell you just out of the blue to vote for that person and they're, they're, they're promoting gay marriage. They made that legal now, which means that you got to marry. If you're a minister, you may get sued if you don't marry certain people in your church. It's coming, folks. It's this close because it's at the wedding cake stage now. But you don't think that the devil will just drop into your church and tell you you got to marry, you got to accept these people as members. You can't reject them as members anymore. Because they qualify, they've confessed Christ, they say they're Christians like everybody else does. You're not running home with people to find out who they sleep with. Huh? They say they're not doing this, they're not doing that. You got to take them in here. That's why we don't have members. You're free to come and go whenever you want to because they ain't taking me to jail because I'm not hooking people up. <laughs> See, churches set themselves up for a lot of nonsense. Huh? That's why a lot of preachers just go on the streets and preach and help people. They don't want the trouble of the shenanigans that can go on when you get a license and a building and all this kind of stuff and you got bylaws and membership and board members and Jesus didn't have board members and if most of his church left him in one day he wasn't screaming and having a fit and wondering how to get them all back So God says, I don't look at people like you do. I look at the heart. But they're not saved. But they they uh, have three divorces in their history. Uh, they do this and they do that. And you do too. What do you do? You run around accusing people. It's all sin. Huh? And didn't we say the sin issue has been dealt with already? Huh? You don't know what they pray to God. 
You don't know what they've confessed to God. You don't know what God's put in their heart. You don't know their relationship with God. You think you know based on what? What we see and what we hear. Outer appearance. So we look at outer appearance. Oh, they're arrogant or they're... They said that about Jesus too. So it's still God's choice, folks. He looks at the heart. Well, their heart couldn't be right because they do this. And what what's up with your heart? He didn't tell you to judge somebody else. He told you judge yourself so you don't get judged. We have to learn how to mind our business. What's our business is our business. What's somebody else's. And then sometimes the people who are accusing are guilty of worse. You ever notice that? So man looks on the external. Understand that. God looks at the heart. You ask God. God examine this person's heart. Are they going to do what you tell them to do when they get in office? That's the only thing we should be concerned about. Are they going to obey what God tells them to do once they get in there? Well, you know, if they're not a Christian, they can't talk to God. Are you kidding me? Are you serious? Really? People can hear from God whether they're born again or not. The Bible's full of sinners and knew it was God talking to them. They didn't have a covenant with God, but they knew it was God. And they had the power to obey him when necessary. So let's get off this trip about thinking we know exclusively how who can be close to God and who can't. Who can have relationship and who can't. I remember back in the days when, when I was just, just getting started in ministry, we all thought we needed a Christian as president of the United States. Well, that may happen, but we've had many of them who were Christians who were president of the, that didn't qualify them to hear from God perfectly all the time. Are you kidding me? Look at the church is full of people that screwed up. So don't get me on that. They gotta be a Christian or they, God can't use them. Don't go there. You don't know God's ability, I'm sure. I don't know his ability, but I know what he says about it in his word. He does what he wants to do. So as people, we look mostly at faults, flaws, and mistakes. Know that when we reject people on past behavior, we will not come up with God's pick. God seeks to qualify. Man seeks to disqualify. So God looks at your rough edges and he says, hmm, I can take care of that. I got a remedy for that. I'm just looking at somebody who loves me in their heart, who has a heart to hear my voice, who I can trust to follow through. Sometimes it's just one quality that makes them stand out. Are they faithful? Are they going to stick with an idea once I put that idea in their heads? Are they going to, you understand what I'm saying? They're going to follow through on it without being ashamed and afraid. So we live in an age where everybody's man-pleasing, everybody's cowards. You see it all the time in leadership. You'll see them get up there where God makes them prominent, and then they start watering down their message. They start leading people astray. Getting exclusive, getting the big head because they got money. They don't know it can leave tomorrow. 
All you need is one evil report against your life and all your finances collapse. Uh, I can name them. Bill Cosby, Kevin Spacey, Harvey Weinstein, uh, with Matt Lauer. Uh, those are the me too sexual predator type guys. All their wealth is gone. And God warned us this would happen because the devil's doing what? Running out of money. So he's got to take it from people he gave it to and recirculate it. So how's he do it? By spreading lies about him. That's the first thing he does. He makes up something. This stuff may be true or not. It might be exaggerated. But once he puts it out there, once it's heard, it's believed. And people act on what they hear, not on the evidence. Just be, be understand it because you don't want to get caught up in it. You want to be discerning and understand that you can go to God with any evil report about anybody and get truth. And if it's not pertinent to what he's called you to do, don't worry about it. Let God straighten it out. But this is how the devil's people turn on each other and fight each other. This happens all the time with with sinful people. So let them have at it. You don't have to go in there and say, well, I just did, you know, uh, Bill Cosby, he's just, you know, and then, oh, he's guilty of sin. It's all over me. Shut up. That ain't even a conversation for you to get involved in. It doesn't matter what you think. God's available to all of them. And most of them will fall on their knees and, and face God and say, God, if this is, you know, straighten me up, help me. I'm on my way to hell if I don't get this straightened out. That's the point. That's the reason for whenever sin is revealed, is to get those people to repent and cry out to God. But if you reject people on past behavior, you will not come up with God's pick. And if you ignore the same behavior in other people and think God wants to choose them, then you're really screwy. So man always seeks to disqualify people. God wants to qualify folks. So this is the difference. This is why God looks at the heart and we look at behavior. So Nehemiah was such a man. He received favor with the highest on earth to do what? The will of God. If you are about doing the will of God and you know he has chosen you and graced you to be able to do it, then he will take you as far as you need to go. In order to get the influence that you need. Know this. That if you are a person of prayer. You have a prayer assignment. And you've been faithful. You're higher than any of these people will ever get. You got me? So we have to get the stars out of our eyes. And quit trying to aspire to be. I want to be on television. I want to be this. I want to be that. God's told me we're going to be. And he said, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You can be on the radio. We finally got here. Shut up. Who did you lead to the Lord that you walked past today. That you didn't even think that if they were on their way to hell. You could save it. See what I'm saying? See, we pass up our ability looking for notoriety, you know, looking to be prominent. So in Nehemiah chapter 1, we'll go back there again, verses 1 through 2. said, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hachaliah, and it came to pass in the month of Shislu in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan the palace, Hanani, Hanani, 
one of my brethren came, he and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity and concerning Jerusalem. So God promised his people that if they would sin and rebel against him, he would scatter them. So they were scattered. Part of them were in the captivity, and that is over in Babylon where uh, Nehemiah was. Part of them were left in the city of Jerusalem to wander around and fend for themselves. And so when Nehemiah asked for a report, it's not so he can find out who he doesn't like and make sure they're not doing well. A lot of our interest in things is the devil's motivating us to want to hear about how people are doing. That's why when people leave this ministry, I don't want to hear about them. Not from you. I want to hear about them from God. And we pray for them to come back to God. Whether they come back to this assembly or not, come back to God. Because seldom do I find that they go on and do more or get even involved in a church anymore. They, they'll they leave here and be as lax as they were here, if not more. Many times people are not regular in church. It's always a sign when they've been regular and that stops. It's a sign they're on their way someplace else. You understand? So you pray for them to get interested in the things of God, but you can't make them do it. You understand what I'm saying? We're here for you. We're here to pray for you. But something has happened in your heart that has caused you to lose interest in the things of God that used to be your joy, that used to be what you were here for. You've, you've lost, you know, interest in your first love. And so when people start to slack off and all that kind of stuff, we pray for them, try to encourage them. But many times they get hardened on the inside and want to fight you because you're trying to remind them of their prayer appointment. You shouldn't have to do that in a prayer ministry. Everybody should be here to pray, glad to pray, take up their assignment. Sometimes people will stay faithful to God as long as they're struggling. And the struggle gets lifted and they find other things they want to do all of a sudden. You know, money will separate you. Poverty will separate you. You got me? They've been poor too long and it's not happening for them. And now they got to go do something else. So they never caught on. That's why I used to say they don't get locked in. They don't understand that a ministry is a service to God. You're not here to be served. You're here to serve. Until God, until Jesus comes home. See, we think we serve until we get what we want and then it's not as, that's the way people's minds think. They just, it's not important anymore. After you get some of the stuff that you think you want from God and you think you can handle things, then you lose interest. See? And they test it by withdrawing, drawing back a little bit here. Oh, I didn't lose my job. Maybe I can just not do this anymore and it's okay you see what i'm saying your heart's not locked in it's never locked into the devotion to god so that's why the bible says many are called but few are chosen you know it's a handful that will continue on in the things of god so here's nehemiah and he's 
questioning these gentlemen about what's going on in the city of Jerusalem. Now, why is that important to him? Because that was the city God gave them to come and do what? Worship him. God's been trying to get a people free to worship him forever. So here, the worship toward the one true and living God on the earth is ceased now. Because the people turned away from God, you know, in the heyday, Jerusalem, they look at the splendor that Solomon brought to that kingdom or that God brought through Solomon. That's a better way to say it. And look at how it's deteriorated. Why? Because little by little, people compromise, lose interest. They look at what the people next to them are doing. Well, we can't eat certain foods and they can eat everything. We can't have more than one wife. Look at all the wives he's got. Got me? We can't do this, but look at what they can do. So that's why God commanded they be separated from people. Just don't look over there. Don't go over there. Don't mix with them. I've given you your own land, your own kingdom. I want you to live here. Don't live over there. But we can't stop looking. Eyes get you in trouble more than anything. Uh The goodly Babylonish garment. He and his whole family. The the ground opened up and swallowed them all up. When it was found out. Samson, don't you ever like any Hebrew girls? Why you gotta always like them hoes from cross the road? Huh? They please me well. Huh? Well, you don't want much. Good grief. Come on now. Hoochie mamas. You don't want much. No, they want what's pleasing to the eye only and not what God has ordained for them. What's pleasing to the eye is usually right there in plain sight. It's easy. In other words, it's easy for your eyes to fall upon that. What pleases God might take a little work. You might have to pray. You might have to wait. You might have to look for a confirmation. Huh? Look at Isaac and Rebecca. He had to send a, they had to send a relative off for a, a, a wife for, for Abraham's son. But it was worth it. Because they obeyed God. Amen. It was obedience. Rebecca wasn't no real prize when it comes down to your something. But you didn't have to live with her. He did, right? So what can we say? It was his wife, not yours. Nehemiah's notoriety or his prominence begins in his heart. Are you notorious in your love and devotion for God? Well, then let him know you are. You know, have, like they say, have that conversation. That's what the worldly people say. We need to have that conversation. And then what? That's what, you know, that's my question is. Have the conversation and then what? You just can't talk all the time. We gotta do something. 
Nehemiah became to, began to weep, mourn, and fast for his country. Verse 4. It came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Not just one quick prayer. Not just one time. But he made this a, a, a condition of his life. You know how sometimes you'll, you'll be so devoted to something that nothing else matters. He, he made this a condition in his life that he stayed in that place of fasting and prayer and mourning for Jerusalem and the city of it the security of that city because it was burnt with fire. The walls were torn down. There was no security there. People came, the enemy came in and out, looted things wherever they, it had to be rebuilt or they would have no way to have continual contact with God. So this was something that became very clear to Nehemiah. What needed to be done was put before him. And I can tell you that prayer and fasting will get you there to the remedy. And that's, you don't want to always just talk about the problem. You want to know the remedy. See, this is where Christianity falls down because we're always, we are so problem, we can find what's wrong with everything. Well, the reason that we don't have this in the church, and who said we don't? Who said we don't? You know, I see people say they're called by God to do this, that, and the other. And they, well, I'm going to college to learn how to write grant proposals. You don't have to go nowhere to learn that. You can get that online. Everything's online anymore. I gotta, I gotta get my doctorate so I can uh, write a grant proposal, get money to do what God told me to do. Since when? Did Jesus look to Caesar for his money? He told him, I don't want Caesar's money. He said, give to Caesar what's his and give to God what's his. You know, know the difference. So he wasn't looking to Caesar to take care of any of his needs, and we should not either. He's not looking to Caesar now. Every time you start getting hooked up with the government, you get in a snare. Paperwork, uh, audits that you don't know are coming. Huh? If you're a Christian, you top on the list for getting some kind of pulled out uh, you know just to get harassed (laughs) they got more stipulations for us than they do for anybody else so the condition one of the conditions for nehemiah's being chosen by god was his heart he had a heart to see god's people built up he had a heart to see god's kingdom advance he had a heart to see the sick healed he had the heart to see the the people that are lost go to heaven he had a heart for these things What's in your heart? You care about more than you. Do you care about the world, the other nations? In other words, are you willing to interrupt your comfortable life to serve God? Or are you like to keep, you can't disturb certain things in your life, little creature comforts that you have because God asked for too much. Look at these other people in the church. I do more than everybody in here. You know? I was listening to somebody. I don't know. I think it might have been Nola. She said, well, that's a trap. 
she was saying, no, that's a trap. You, you understand what I'm saying? Because anybody that's that's looked around and compared themselves knows that it's a snare of the devil to keep you from getting what. She says, no, I need too much from God to try to look at how much I do. No, look to do more because you need more. If that's a way to get it, I mean, come on now. So are you willing to interrupt your life for God's service? For how long? That's the first thing most people. We want God to terminate our devotion to him. Because we want to terminate it. I got to constantly look at what I don't have. Because if I don't, I don't know what's going to happen. In verse 5, here we see how he did it. The how-to is always in the Bible, folks. It's no mystery. We don't like the how-to. That's number one. (laughs) He said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keeps covenant and mercy. So you number one, you got to go to God believing he's going to keep his word. If you're just throwing it out there to see if you can get something, you won't get anything. So if you can remind God, God, you keep covenant and mercy. You keep your promises. You keep your word. You keep what you say. You take care of things. He said, to them that love you and observe your commandments. Oh, stipulation on my part. Okay, got to make sure my heart's right toward God. Got to make sure I don't have no loose ends hanging on. Anybody that, you know, if when you're quick to think negative and criticize people, that's wrong. That's not love. I'm going to tell you right now. If the first thing that pops in your mind when somebody's name is mentioned is something negative, Lucy, you got some work to do. Huh? Sure. You're quick to want to advise people and tell them and correct them and all that. It's not, that's not right. You're a fault finder. So you got to observe his commandments. He said, let your ear now be attentive and your eyes open that you may uh, may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now. How often? Day and night, day and night, day and night, day and night. That means it's on your mind until it's resolved. And for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sin. Oh, wow. Now we're getting down to the nitty gritty. Confessing our sins. Well, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. Well, it wasn't wrong. God told me it was okay. You're not a candidate, okay? If you're trying to excuse sin, you're not a candidate for this. You understand me? You've got to get it out in the open. You gotta strip yourself of all your defenses, all your weapons, all your excuses, all you the reason why's and I should have had twelve hugs when I was growing up and that's why I'm such a mean Christian every day. <laughs> Parents didn't hug me enough. <laughs> Well, that's the pop psychology thing. You can get away with anything if you didn't get enough. If you can blame it on parents or anybody. I grew up in the system. and 
If you if that's true, why did you have four kids that are in the system now? You know how bad it is. Why would you set your own seed up for that kind of life? People who feel sorry for themselves never change. They've already written change off the list. Well, I don't have to change because that happened to me. Huh? As though we have a past when we're born again. If you look at the word and accept it and receive it, old things are passed away. All things have become new. See, we want to be able to do all things through Christ who strengthens us when we want money. Or when we want to show our haters that we're doing better now. But when it talks about walking away from your past and not committing those sins anymore, we can't do anything. You can't have it both ways. So that's repentance. When you stay on your face before God and you make sure everything's emptied out of you that needs to be emptied out. And even better, ask him to show you the things. We know most of them. Because before you'd even get down to pray, the Holy Spirit's shown you, you know, the reason why I can tell you right now why the church is powerless. Because we compromise with everything. We compromise with the devil on everything. We've gotten on television and gotten a big mailing list and gotten money. When you get in the millions, it changes you. Best thing, if you're in the millions... Have a board that's already designated where that money goes so you don't get most of it in your pocket. You don't wind up with a high salary. You understand what I'm saying? Because we can do a lot of things. You know, people say, well, I don't take much of a salary. Yeah, but the ministry has bought you an airplane, four houses, three vacation houses. You don't need a salary. You got everything. Yeah, you don't have to say amen. It's true anyway. You never, you don't see priests in the, in the Bible amassing wealth. You don't see it. You don't see it. It was split up between the whole priesthood. When they start sending me checks, that's when I'll believe their wealth is legitimate. You understand what's, but it doesn't get split up between the whole priesthood. If you select people here, I'm telling you the truth now, then that's not, don't get squirrely and stupid. Don't say that's their money because uh-uh, we serve the same God. We have a covenant with one another that when you're able, do good to the household of faith. That's why when people start ministries and they go out on the streets, they almost have to beg and steal to get money to come in so that they can touch people. Not everybody's going to sit in front of that television and get you don't get touched on there anyway. You get the message that they pre- prepare that won't get them in trouble with the FCC, with the television companies, with the, the, the uh, donors, all of that. You get the message that's pleasing to their people who support them and not a raw message that's going to help you where you sit getting ready to commit suicide. Most of the big ones don't even have a prayer line for you to call if you need help. 
I'm going to say it again. Most of them have no prayer line for you to call and get help if you need it. When is that the gospel? See, this is why we don't have power much in the church because we don't need it. We already got things going on manpower. We don't need God power. We got people that are spirit filled that won't minister the baptism of the Holy Spirit on national television because they don't want to offend denominational people that come to their meetings. They said it. That's why I tell y'all quit looking at so much Christian television. You know, I wouldn't want to be responsible to God for locking those people out. I don't care if it, the crowd dwindled to half its size. Just bring the ones that want the truth. Bring the ones that want the power. So that's why we don't have power in the church. We're not ministering it to people. And it's getting less and less frequent that we do. God's opened up the door oftentimes on street ministry for people to receive the gift of tongues. Why? They can't get in the church. People on the street are getting more confident where we used to just make sure they got saved. Now we're saying, do you want power when you pray? You want to pray to God with power? I'll, I'll lay hands on you. Now this, you're going to, you're going to feel this inside of you and you're going to start speaking a little babble, another language, blah, 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 blah. And right on the street, they receive it. Why? Because the Holy Spirit wants to bless them. He wants to help them, whether the powers that be want to or not. You got to know these things. I don't care if that's your favorite preacher I'm talking about. Your pet, your pet preacher. I should be your favorite preacher. You understand me? I pray for you all the time. You can come to me anytime. I can touch you and get devils off of you, get pain off of you, and get sickness off of you. I should be your favorite. You shouldn't silence my voice because you like somebody on television better. Because they promise you stuff you ain't got yet. I can't tell you you're going to get a million dollars. But I can tell you Jesus has already healed you. Amen. And I'll stand with you until that happens. Amen. You get a promise from anybody. This is nothing but words until it happens. So here's Nehemiah. He was willing to interrupt his life for God's service. How much of your life are you willing to interrupt? Huh? You don't have to answer, but think about it. All the things you plan to do right after you leave church. How many can God just say, don't do that today. I got something else for you to do. And you not grumble about it. I'm just asking, okay? Don't get stupid on me. Don't get silent out there. Don't go to sleep. But this is why people get chosen, and this is why others sit on the sidelines and pretend that didn't happen in the Bible. And pretend God can't choose them as well if they just can do simple things. 
You notice he didn't send Nehemiah to Bible school. He didn't send him anywhere to get trained and get blessed and get this and get that. He put him into service based on what was in his heart. What's in your heart, if it needs to manifest quickly, God can mature you up to the point where you can do it. And it all happened through fasting, prayer, and repentance. If you're not willing to repent when you know that you and people in the church have done wrong, this will not happen for you. If you're not willing to confess it and that's wrong, God, we should be preaching. If we had, if, if the preachers who are on television and radio and have a national voice could preach the gospel, we could have the world saved by now. But see, this is always the problem in the church. God has to hunt, peck, and scout for faithful people that will just do what he tells them to do without worrying about their reputation. You understand what I'm saying? Very few, as, as hard as the world is promoting homosexuality and same-sex marriage, you have to go far and wide to see somebody on national television stand up and say that is sin. And God will not help your life if you insist upon doing that, but Jesus can deliver you from that life so he can bless you. The simple gospel message, but it's seldom heard. Same thing about abortion. As hard as the politicians are pushing abortion and these different women's groups are out there with those stupid pink hats on their heads and all of this kind of stuff. And few people, if any, are preaching daily about the sin of abortion, have statistics on how harmful it is to people's lives, how many that there are more African-American babies aborted in Washington, D.C. that are born alive. You know, selective genocide of your own race of people, they don't ever mention it. You know what they mention? You've got greatness inside of you. Well, that's fine for the people who are alive. What about the ones that don't make it past the, the abortion? So let's not get stupid here, okay? There's a reason that we don't have the power God wants us to have. We should be sitting in sackcloth and ashes, the things we condone. You condone them by not speaking against them. Your silence condones it. So God, he tells God that you, you promised us that you would hear from heaven. Let your ear be attentive as I confess the sins of your people, which we have sinned against you, both me and my father's house. I mean, we've all, we're all guilty, God. Everybody. We have dealt very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments nor the statutes nor the judgments which you commanded against your servant Moses. Remember, I beseech you the word that you commanded your servant Moses saying this, it's promise. If you can't transgress, I will scatter you. Oh, yeah, we're scattered. But if you turn to me, this is the important part. If you turn to me and keep my commandments and do them, 
Though there were of you cast to the uttermost part of heaven, yet I'll gather them again. So God promises to put you back together again. If you start to obey, he'll start to obey his promises. You start to do what's right, he'll start to do what's right. One of the younger girls in the ministry has a nephew now because she talked her sister out of an abortion. You understand what I'm saying? You don't think God's going to honor that? You get bold enough to go to somebody you know that could dislike you forever and confront them on the sin that they're about to commit. God will turn things around for you folks. You sit up and watch your family members do all kinds of things and never say anything. I tell them, I say, y'all don't like me anyway. Don't be acting like this is new. But cut that out. You can't live like that. Amen. God's not going to bless that. Don't be sitting up in that crazy church of yours acting like you all holy and this is what you do. Preach, preach, preach. Teach your kids right. Teach them not to sleep around. Teach them not to come back home pregnant and bring baby after baby. Yes. Teach them the right way. You know it's wrong. Amen. But you go over trying to act like a, a glad grandparent and do all this nonsense stuff. Don't make them repent. You love that baby and you should love that grandbaby. But don't give them a free pass on it because you see they keep repeating. You need to know your mistakes are not fatal when you have a covenant with God. You got me? Don't worry about your mistakes. They are not fatal when you have a covenant with God. Write that down. Most of y'all so defensive when you do something wrong. You don't want to correct yourselves. You make a million up a million ideas to excuse it. And this is the problem in the church. We hide. We lie. We make up. We make excuses. We got a big story to tell. Why? Because we have no concept of, of atonement. And what Jesus sacrificed for you when you do wrong. And you will do wrong. Nobody's keeping score on how many days you went without sin. That's been dealt with already. Good gravy. That's the first thing you learn as a believer, man. That you don't have to be afraid of messing up. And it's not that you go off half cocked and you don't have God's blessing on what you do. But when you do, you know you can make a mistake. It's possible for me to miss it out here doing the best I can. Thank God for the atonement. If you, you'll never get anywhere in God's kingdom if you don't feel that way. You'll never get anywhere. The devil try to hem you in. When I first started this ministry, I had more critics than I had supporters. People picked apart everything I said, everything I did. I was a mean person. I didn't like them. You know, grow up. Grow up. Some people still do it. You know, you understand what I'm saying? The devil can get in your head anytime. Now, if I had been mindful of what people thought, we wouldn't be this far. Amen. You understand what I'm saying? 
You get the devil wants to back you into a corner and silence you based on people's judgment. I could care less. After I prayed through it and found out what God thought about it, I said, oh, okay, well, let me agree with you, God. Huh? But he told me this. He said, as long as you're moving in faith, I will honor what you do. He said, you listen to people, you'll never move in faith and do anything. Hello? It's a good lesson to learn. It'll get you off your butt and get you to doing something for God for a change. Instead of sitting in a corner whispering all the time and wondering, trying to keep anybody else from doing anything. Now, this is not the church of of fault finders. This is the church of the blood bought, the the church of the living God. Amen. The firstborn of those of, of the creator. So your mistakes are not fatal when you have a covenant with God. Step out in faith and do the right thing. Quit making the same mistakes over and over again because of judging them. So in, in, in chapter 2, Nehemiah makes his plea to God. He tells him, you promised that if we turn to you and keep your word, then you would hear from heaven and turn this thing around. You're going to gather us back together to Jerusalem again. I can feel it. God, you're going to pour out your glory on all flesh. The sons and daughters are going to prophesy. That means they will give an accurate word of the Lord, not something made up. A lot of people trying to prophesy don't even qualify as sons and daughters. Did you know that? Why not? They don't imitate their father. They're carnal, crazy, looking for money all the time, got the handout, abusing God's people, saying anything, disliking them, saying anything, looking down on them. That's not a son of God. Are you kidding me? The son of their father, the devil. Chapter 2, verse 1. It came to pass. Ooh, ha! Important phrases there. In chapter 1, the important phrase, he prayed and fasted. And chapter 2, important phrase, it came to pass. That's the essence of anything you want from God. you got to fast and pray, confess, repent, pour it out before God, admit what's going on so you can know what to correct. When he tells you to correct it, you correct the right things. Well, I don't know if there's anything to correct. If it was nothing to correct, y'all would be gathered together and not scattered. So don't go there, okay? Who asked you? Just do what you're told to do. So here he is. He's the king's cupbearer. This is not just the palace drunk. You got me? Cupbearers were very trusted people. That was a very high official in the king's palace. They were often confidants of the king and they were extremely trustworthy and discerning people. You wasn't stupid and got to be the cupbearer. When uh uh in in the book of Genesis where Joseph was in prison, remember the butler and the baker? The butler was more than likely the cupbearer. And so they were charged, the reason they were charged with offenses is because they had high level responsibility. There was no doubt 
a, a, an attempt made against the king's life, which either came through his food or his drink. And that's why the two of them were in jail.